1: Hello, you're listening to the Bip Show. Bip is for business, investing, and policy, and that's what we're here to talk about. I'm Paul Colgan, a director at CT Group, and I'm here with James Whelan, macro strategist and investment manager at VFS Group. G'day, James.
2: Oh, g'day, Paul. Fantastic to be here. Live. So, James, you're on mute. How about, <laughs> how, about, how, about, how about? How about? How about? How about? Now you're on mute. No, yeah. This is just the way I say hello to everybody <laughs> these days. Yeah, um, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> See Jeff this, Bezos, it just happened to Jeff Bezos. Turn it, off, turn it off and turn it back on again. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, some of the highest flying tech guys in the uh, in the world and on dodgy webcams yeah. with terrible mics uh, <laughs> talking, talking to people who didn't know exactly who they were talking to. But Paul, it is fantastic to be here live from the studios, Darlinghurst, mate. Always great. Very pumped for this one too.
1: And I know a lot of our listeners will be very excited that we have Ken Vexler back on the show, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Acumen Management, joining us from Amsterdam. How are you, Ken?
0: Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good to be back, lads. Uh, All well. Summer here, so and looking forward to talking about shiny yellow stuff.
1: We're here in Sydney recording this on the 30th of July 2020. Our guest this week is Jordan Elissio, Manager of Listed Products and Investment Research at the Perth Mint. Jordan is a long-established uh, economic commentator and market analyst whose career has included stints at BT Financial, Deutsche Bank, and others between Sydney and London. And, of course, he's got a special interest in gold, and that's what we're here to focus on today. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. I uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, um, and it's a bit of a capitulation podcast. Cast uh, for me, I think you know gold, um, and and I know you are um, excellent at uh, handling this debate because there might be some people who are not entirely familiar with the you know the gold in financial markets gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes because it, you know can certainly be some odd investors around it and there can be a you know um, a, a very fer- very fervent beliefs among some of the the more rusted on investors but of course this year it has um, had runaway performance um, probably a lot to do with a whole bunch of different factors that are at work in the market which we're going to go through during the show um, but uh, this week it touched all-time highs in in US dollar terms didn't it?
3: Yeah, that's right. The The dollar was essentially the last currency standing. Gold had made all-time highs in about 70 or 80 other currencies over the last few years, in, including last year in Australian dollars. It went above 2,000 for the for the first time ever, and it's now comfortably above 2,500 Aussie dollars. Uh, but yeah, this week, the the first time ever, it went above US 1,950 an ounce. Uh, so it's a new all-time high in nominal terms. Still got a ways to go in, in real terms, but... Uh, yeah, there's no question. It's been the the sort of standout performer of 2020, up around uh, up around 25 now, and 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 we're seeing uh, yeah enormous interest uh, in 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 the metal for, from all kinds
1: of investors today. And I think one of the interesting things about gold is that it tends to do well in certain environments, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about. But it also has knock on effects to other markets too when gold price is behaving like that. So um, certainly going to be uh, a really interesting chat and. Um, I was sort of wondering, James that uh, you know is this the kind of thing maybe this could be a kind of like a contra indicator you know the way when the economist uh uh, puts uh, something on the cover and says, you know, Australia's economy is going fantastic. Mm. Uh, everybody mm. else should mm. look at mm. it. And mm. the next thing, you know, 12 months later, we're in a, the deepest recession yeah, since yeah. the you Great that, Depression. That, yeah,
2: put three, put three guys in a room in Darlinghurst and phone one in, in Amsterdam and talk about gold and this thing's going to be 1400 bucks by the end of the Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I could see that happening and everyone jumps on board and everyone wants to talk about it. The, the fundamentally, though it would take a steam train to turn it around because the, the, the underlying reason why gold is getting bought is unstoppable at the moment. So, Jordan, take us through it. Yeah, look, I think if you if you look at the, the catalyst for the gold
3: move that we've seen, it's not actually just this year. Gold's actually been really strong for the last 18 months and across that entire time period, probably the, the primary driver has been... The decline in real yields uh, all around the developed world, and you know we can talk about the you know the US ten year as the I suppose the benchmark for that. So in in the last sort of so, so,
1: so let's just uh, just take a step back. There'll be some people who won't understand real sure. yields. Yeah, yep,
3: sure. So we're talking about the the nominal yield on the US Treasury 10-year bond. Uh, but what we're, gonna, what we're doing as well is we're then also factoring in the rate of inflation. So, you know, if you're talking, if a, if a 10-year bond has a yield of 1% and inflation is 1%, then the real yield is effectively zero. Uh, so over the last kind of 18 to 24 months, the, the real yield on, on the US 10-year has dropped from around 1% to negative 1%. So it's effectively fallen 200 basis points. And in that time period, essentially gold has become a, almost a high-yield asset. So gold yields nothing, but it's you know, higher yielding than, than minus one.
1: And just to get into the specifics, because it gets really interesting, because the, the US 10-year is about 50 basis points, uh, something like that. Uh, I think um, it might be a. I think it might be a fraction high, sixty or seventy. Now, right, okay, so about right. Call it a half. 60, yeah, sixty-three right.
0: is so uh, nice to fifth, do you know? The US ten years fifty-seven. Damn, I you right, can. oh, now, it was close. <laughs> See,
1: nearest the pin, Colgo, Thank you. Um, so, so, um, uh, well, nearest the pin today. I mean, come back tomorrow and <laughs> it'll be yeah. Um, so, um, so say it's a half of half of one percent, but then. With all of the stimulus that's flooding the market, and um, uh, some thoughts about you know in markets about what that's going to do to inflation, even though inflation is very low, uh, it's still been get, there's, there's an expectation that it's going to creep a little bit higher, which pushes that that negative y- real yield uh, even further into the red.
3: Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I think over the last three months, essentially the nominal yield has, has barely budged. Um, but the, if you look at, say, five-year inflation, right, it's uh, it's gone from, I think, about 0.2 to 1.4 or thereabouts. So effectively, nearly all of the decline in, in real yields over the last three to four months has come from a uptick in expected of inflation, essentially, rather than actually any continued decline in the, the sort of nominal yield on, on 10 years. Um, but either way, the, as I say, the opportunity cost of investing in gold has obviously declined substantially and, and people are saying, well, I'll, I'll increase my exposure to that asset. Uh, and, and obviously, when you, when you look at gold, the supply of it's incredibly stable. So when you see more demand, it always gets expressed in
1: a higher price. So to- let's um, just do some of those fundamentals again, right? So um, the supply of it being very, very stable, um, talk about that. Yeah,
3: sure. So in, in any given year, gold mining production around the world is, is sort of roughly around the 3,500 tonne mark. That's the sort of primary production that comes out of the ground. Um, Australia being uh, the second largest miner or second or third, depending which year it is. Um, China, Russia are major producers as well. Uh, but the important thing to remember is that All of that gold that gets mined in any given year, it doesn't get consumed or used up like traditional commodities do. It just gets added to investor stockpiles, either in bar or coin form, or it's bought by households in, you know, they might wear it as jewelry. So the the so sort of coal
1: gets burnt, iron ore gets correct, sealed. Yeah. 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 Correct.
3: If we use the word fungible, someone sends us some money. I think. Right. <laughs> there you go. Let's, we can we can we can throw that in at some point in the podcast. Um, so if you if you sort of take the the total stockpile of gold, uh, it's around two hundred thousand tons of, of the yellow metal or precious metal uh, we, we know is in sort of above ground stockpiles held by investors or households today. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, if you were to sort of take that two hundred thousand ton figure and multiply it by today's market price the sort of size of the <coughs> global gold market is comfortably north of 10 trillion US dollars so the interesting thing about gold is it's not it's not so much that there's not that much of it actually the market value of it's huge it would be the, it would be the second largest bond market in the world if it was a bond it's just that that total supply cannot meaningfully change in in any way because the the amount that we mine in any given year just adds a a tiny fraction to the total stockpile mm. That, mm. that humans already have and already
1: own. Whereas we know what can happen with government bonds if uh, if there's a need for them, right? Mm. Or, or, or perhaps not a need for them if we go full MMT in the yeah. years to come. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> but, true, true. Yeah. Uh, Which I think we'll uh, we'll turn uh, the conversation to at some point. Um, okay, so so let's talk about what is driving um, this specific price, right? So who is buying? gold at the moment, right, because in these kind of rallies, you know, you've got the Robin Hood effect, uh, lots of retail traders, which we've talked about on a few episodes of the show, Um, you know, new retail traders uh, who have a bit of money sitting at home during lockdowns, um, and there's trading apps now, and they can get in. And start buying gold or stocks uh, stonks as as the, as they've <laughs> driven so many stocks I think kodak was the was the really interesting stock story uh, this week um, up hundreds and hundreds of percent after it got a grant from the u s to and it's <laughs> kodak is pivoting again to pharmaceuticals or something yeah. anyway yeah. Um, uh, this conversation for another very short boring podcast <laughs> right All um, the next thing yeah, yeah, yeah right 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 but um uh so so it hasn't been like are retail traders and the arrival of retail traders and the interest of retail traders enough to be moving the gold price in this way? No.
3: So look there there is an increase in, in retail participation, there's no question about that. Um but the real the real story for gold demand in, in 2020 has been the, the ETF story. So uh in the first six months of the year there was over seven hundred tons worth of gold bought by Investors using ETFs. So that's you know that's self-directed investors. It's institutions. It's financial intermediaries. You name it. To sort of contextualise that, even though we're only talking about a six-month period, it's more than was bought in the calendar year 2009 when the GFC hit, and more than was bought in 2016 when sort of Brexit happened and, and Trump won the election. Now, if you then also factor in the gold price is much higher today than what it was in average in 2009 and and 2016. In the first six months of the year, roughly forty billion dollars flew into in, into those gold ETFs. That's double the amount of money in any previous calendar year in just half the time. So it's been it's been an extraordinary story. It's 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 the it's the by far the most important story to the sort of gold price rise we've seen this year. Um, so yeah, look, there's retail money coming in, but the retail money is not the thing that's driven it to, you know, up towards two thousand US dollars. It's it's Insto money, it's it's it's
2: intermediaries, you name it. Can we talk about the life cycle on that? Because I'm always fascinated by by the the background of it. And a few weeks ago, we had Martin Wetton actually actually ran us through the, the the mechanics of how a bond is bought by the by the RBA specifically. Or and so uh, let's just take it for example. So a million dollars goes into an ETF. And then what? What then has to happen with regards to the to the backing? And or you take it from there if you want. Yeah, sure.
3: Okay. So I, I suppose it's. Um, I'll maybe answer the question in two ways because the Perth Mint's got its own ETFs, which because we're a massive refiner and custodian of gold, ours work separate to the sort of generic ETF. But yep. the, the sort of generic ETF would be there's a product issuer, um, they have you know units or shares for sale on an exchange. Somebody buys them. Um, a market maker obviously had to sort of hit the bid that that, that, that person had put into the market um, and then they are required to deposit ounces with a gold custodian, typically a bank in London. Um, and when, when that occurs... Uh, the issuer of the product can basically then create units to deliver to the end investor. So there's sort of a, you know, there's, a, I suppose, a few, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, um, steps in the process to ensure that gold actually does go into the backing of that product. And so obviously the banks have, you know, bullion banks in London have enormous stockpiles of gold. And so if you think about it, they're essentially just going, okay, we've got a, a pile of metal in our in our vault. We're now going to allocate some to ETFA or ECFB as, as inflows come Mean and the reverse happens when, when they come out. In the case of the Perth Mint, because we sort of refine you know, sort of over 300 tons of gold a year, and we have sort of enormous vaults already in in operation, it's it's a much simpler process. We basically act as market maker to our own products, um, so people are buying units from us. Um, we sell them to them. We put gold in the vault. Um, that's it. There's there's far less uh, there's far less um, counterparties involved. Um, and and you know the sort of demand for for that kind of product is is uh, well picked up incredibly so i think if you look at the the stats that i gave you guys before about the sort of global gold etf rush in australia the the demand has been far far faster than what we've seen globally so in the first 6 months of this year for example the product that we've issued it saw inflows of over 50% just in the first 6 months of the year so yeah look there's there's a there's just a, a, a huge appetite for the metal right now and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in your views on it, James, from a portfolio perspective.
2: Well, I, I'm more of just, just keeping with the mechanics. So I remember a, a while ago there was chat that there's capacity on the gold on the gold holding for the ETF and that the physical backing of it was, was running out. So there'd be a capacity that if you've got a physical amount of gold that can be behind an ETF, can you run out? Oh,
3: look, I... I, I, I Given given we've got our own products, it's sort of oh, d- you, difficult. difficult. Yeah, it's, yeah, 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 it's it's sort of difficult for me to comment without sort of sort of making it look like I'm trying to sort of talk down the competition, as it were. Um, but uh, <laughs> do, it anyway. can, do it anyway. Do, <laughs> do it anyway. No, no, no. If you I mean, don't do it, Ken, will do it. Yeah, no, no. no. So look, the, the reality is is this is that most ETF sort of gold ETF issuers. Have no specialty in the gold space at all. They're financial product manufacturers that outsource the custody. They outsource the trading to a market maker, so they're relying on an external balance sheet. And then they outsource the gold sourcing and custody to a bank. So if the bank doesn't get the gold, then there's no gold to put in the ETF. So I'm not sitting here in any way implying that you know global gold, you know that there's we're about to run out of gold to back these products. Um, but certainly, when you compare that to yeah, an ETF where actually the issuer of it is a refiner of 300 plus tonnes a year that has direct relationships with gold mining companies and its own vaults, yeah, there's, a, there's just a lot less counterparties involved in, in a product issued by someone like us.
0: Yeah. Can, Can I just... Um, yeah, I was just sorry, just going to just gonna jump in. Just a quick question, um, Jordan. Uh, physical gold versus ETFs, for example, right? So if we talk about who's buying what, my assumption, rightly or wrongly, I don't know, is that surely real money, pension funds, and the like, and and you know, genuine players, not leveraged hedge funds and the like, uh, these guys would want real physical gold. Like, surely there wouldn't be that much of an interest for them in ETFs. Am I wrong? Uh, who, who's who's doing what, basically?
3: It's a, it's a great question, Ken, and, and the answer might surprise you a little bit in that in part due to regulatory reasons. Um, there are environments where pension funds can't buy the direct commodity, so they have to go via a financial security that gives them exposure to the price. Um, okay. But it's, it's a good point that you make in the sense that sort of, Gold ETFs were – I mean, at one point, they were sort of 8% of the entire ETF universe in in the United States. They're closer to 2% today. It was almost the perfect commodity to put into an ETF structure for retail investors because it actually does – you know, by and large, lower the cost and and increase the access of the the, the products to to direct investors. But for institutional investors, look, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the liquidity of gold and the cost of storing it, you name it, um, they'd actually in in many cases be better going direct because they, they, there's no need to go via. Uh, a financial product, Um, the volumes Mm -hmm. that they're going to buy, they could just trade with us directly, custody it with us directly, and and, um, they'd they'd get it at a cheaper price than going via some sort of financial product.
1: So if I had an ounce of gold um, sitting around at home, Mm -hmm. would I be able to trade that in somewhere for 2000 US dollars?
3: Yeah, you would. Yeah, absolutely. You'd just go to a bullion dealer here in Sydney and you'd basically say, okay, here's my ounce of gold. They'd verify it, assay it, check that it's pure, and they'd offer you a price that would be, you know, spot minus a particular margin. You know, now it depends. You know, if you've got one ounce, that margin might be two or three percent. If you've got a hundred ounces, it'll be less. And, and you know, obviously, the more you buy and sell, the the better the margin you're going to you're going to get. The closer to the spot price you'll be able to trade at.
2: Right. A, bit like, a bit like doing FX over the desk, sort of, you know, at the at the counter.
3: Just
1: oh, of course, yeah, in right yeah, the airport. yeah. 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 yeah
2: it'll be upstairs in one of those closed cages things with the with the security camera out there. The very. Very sharp, sensible sort of operations that they've got.
1: You said that they assay it, right now. I, I want to find out what that's a, what that's about in one second when we come back after this break.
0: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
2: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Welcome back to The Bip Show. Paul Colgan here in Sydney. You're on You're mute. mute. <laughs> Gotcha. Well done, well done, well done. Um, I'll pay that uh, here with James Whelan, um, <laughs> James Whelan, <laughs> whose, whose screen is frozen, <laughs> and um, Ken Vexler on the line from Amsterdam. And our guest is uh, Jordan Alessio, uh who's manager listed products and invest and uh, investments at the Perth Mint. Okay, Jordan assaying the gold. All right, so they did they shave a little bit of it off or something.
3: No, no, you, there's a – different places might do it differently, but the general thing would be they have what's called an XRF machine, which can basically, for want of a better term, call it a scan, um, and it can measure the the purity of the metal. So typically gold, uh, you know, if it's, say, a one-ounce bar, will be manufactured to a purity of – at least nine nine five, so ninety nine point five percent pure. But actually, more these days, more it's, it's normally sort of ninety nine point nine nine percent pure gold. So you can sort of essentially test that it's it's that purity, and, and therefore you know, okay, well, spot price is X. We know that it's a it, it's a pure it, it's a it's a you know proper ounce of gold. So we'll just offer we'll offer to buy it back you, off of you at you know the the spot price minus a, an agreed margin. Okay. The, the challenge is, um, you know, when you do store gold at home or in a private vault or you name it, is that you've obviously got some cost of storing it. You've got risk factor of storing it personally, potentially, um, you know, logistics issues in terms of moving it around. Like, you know, you've got to walk it to that bullion dealer or whatever. And then you sort of lose the sort of liquidity element of not just being able to trade it, you know, Either via the ASX, via your broker, or if it's in a you know, direct depository account, you know, just sort of direct with whoever your counterparty is. So, you know, one of the beauties of gold is that it's just an exceptionally liquid asset. So, turnover in the gold market every day is sort of comfortably north of US 150 billion dollars. Um, so, you know, it's it's an easy asset to get into. It's an easy asset to get out of, provided your metal is with a counterparty that you can trade with. Right? If you're storing it at home, it's a <clears> bit, <throat> bit
2: harder to do that. Yeah. At the so. Do you mind if I jump in? The uh, whoever had the under and over. We're about twenty something minutes into the show. Whoever had unders on thirty, for me to mention his name, Jim Rickards. <laughs> you've got you've won the unders. Well done, so Jim Rickards. Uh, in his recent book Aftermath, which I actually I, I really enjoyed reading, and he mentioned that uh, obviously with the world you know potentially ending as it's always ending in every single one of his books and everything <laughs> that he says. But the uh, and it turns out he was actually quite accurate with regards to what's happened. But anyway, so that but he mentioned that it's. He, he recommended that retail guys, if you want to, if you want to own gold, get a safe and put it in your own safe. And and because the main reason is that when you really really need it, the place where it's usually kept will not be open for business, and, the, and, and their doors will be shut. Which <laughs> this actually is makes what I a love lot of that gold Oh mate, it's, it's, and he's it's proper. Right. The, the, the conversation is very exciting because his it?
1: current forecast for gold prices is something like 10,000 bucks. I
2: uh, I left my tinfoil hat at
1: home, so I can't <laughs> put that on
3: to answer <laughs> that, that question. If, if,
2: if, if it is, yeah, go ahead, Ken.
0: No, I've just got, uh, it's something Jordan said very early on in the, in the piece, and now it's just it's come sort of full circle. Yeah, look, whether gold goes to 10 grand an ounce or not, I don't know, and frankly, don't really care, but I suppose. How much of, and and Jordan, you mentioned it earlier that, you know, across the last 12 months or whatever else, across every other currency, uh, gold's risen, and it's only now the final shoe's dropped against the US dollar. Let's be honest, the benchmark is against the greenback, and so here we are. But how much of the fact that the gold is here is down to a generic and general weakness in in the US dollar that we've witnessed in the last, I don't know, well, it's been exaggerated in the last few weeks, but certainly in the last six months. How much of that is down to just currency weakness or
3: fiat weakness? Yeah, I think I think um, the, if you look at the the sort of the impetus behind, say, the last couple of hundred dollars in in the rally, the the, the weakening of the dollar has been a, a reasonable contributor to that. Um, I'd say mm. though the the bigger factor has been the the just continued decline in in real yields. And actually, if you look over say the last eighteen months to two years, where as I say, gold is up very strongly over that entire time period. The dollar's actually been strong or at least stable for the majority of that time frame. So actually, mm. if you look at that relationship between gold and the US dollar, because a lot of people say, oh, it's just an anti-dollar play. It's it's not. A weakening dollar is definitely good for gold. But as I say, if you look at the last two years, pretty pretty solid proof that it can go up alongside a rising dollar yeah. as well. There's, there's probably, if I can chuck in another couple of points there, from a, I suppose a portfolio or interaction with... Other assets perspective. The other one that often confuses people, or they they just don't. It's not apparent to them. Is nearly everyone gets that gold tends to do well when the equity market's volatile because you know it's the safe haven. People sort of move their money into it. But it also actually is typically positively correlated when equities are rising. So it'll you know it won't go up by as much as equities do. Um, but it actually will still deliver a, a sort of positive nominal nominal return typically. So, you know, those those factors are sort of starting to become, for want of a better term, better understood by the market, which is part of the reason why people are feeling more comfortable allocating to the metal. They're sort of saying, Well, actually there's a few attributes that this thing can bring to my portfolio that um, you know, we, I, I want to have exposure to right now. Are, are they
0: are they sorry to be maybe a little bit direct and or naive, but are they is there, is there not an element of people allocating to gold now because frankly well what else are they going to put cash into and this thing's moving I like it, it, it doesn't yield like a bond yields doesn't matter how much or how little but a bond has a coupon it yields plus there's a price you know appreciation depreciation. Gold does not yield like like it doesn't pay anything outside of the overall nominal price appreciation if it has any. So is there not an element of people just going well it's going up. Uh, it may come off, but really, where else am I going to put any sort of cash at this point?
3: I think there's an element of that, Ken. Definitely, the uh, what's it? The there is no alternative uh, it's, argument. It's the Tina, the Tina, the, tina, the, the tina <coughs> effect. Um, I think there's definitely an element of that, and, and momentum's uh, a huge factor at, at this present time, given how, how strong the rally is right now. Um, but to, to the point that gold doesn't yield, I mean, look, that's absolutely accurate. But if you look at its relationship price-wise with with movements in real yields on other bonds, you can see the correlation there. So, you know, if you think about gold, it actually has a lot of characteristics that are similar to similar to some bonds. So, you know, it's like a perpetual, and yeah, then it has one
0: key factor no coupon I mean that, that ultimately that's what we're talking about and of course there's there's correlations and there's 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 betas to to bond markets and whatever else but at the end of the day it's it's set there and it's costing you money and you're holding it and whatever else you're just hoping that you know the the, the capital or the price appreciation of it outweighs whatever it costs to hold and to transact right that's it
3: I think I think that's absolutely right you, 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 there's no argument with that what, what you're saying, Ken? I guess the the point is that in your an in an environment where okay, let's let's just let's just talk about the the benchmark, the U.S. Treasury. You sort of go okay, well, I can put my money in gold, which won't pay me anything, or I can put my money in a ten-year bond, which is guaranteed at current prices to lose me one percent or near enough one percent if I hold it to maturity. So okay, I get a coupon payment on the ten-year. But it doesn't compensate me for the fact that I have to pay so much for it right now. That when it yeah, matures, yeah, we're, we're all
0: agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So,
3: so I, I agree with your point. I just, it, market pricing kind of just makes gold look no, more attractive no. now.
0: I, I, I just look, I, you know, full, full uh, disclosure here. I'm, I've never, I'm, I'm neither a gold bug nor a gold bug detractor. Like I was actually looking forward and, and i am enjoying this conversation just to get a better sense of, you know, how how. How the gold market and how gold in general is perceived, and you know, as someone that is a specialist, Jordan, obviously getting your take on it. But it's just, yeah, from my point of view, I can understand fundamentally why there's a demand now. But I think, not not that you have done so, but confusing yields and and, and capital appreciation or nominal prices and whatever else, what's driving it with what ultimately, as an asset, not in an asset class, but as an asset, is. I mean, they're just they're two different things. So I think we people just need to yeah be be rational about what, what they're actually trading if, or holding if they're holding gold. That's it. I suppose that's my take. But I think you're bang on. I mean, yeah, you've agreed. There's no yield. It's a capital appreciation. And currently, one, at least in nominal terms, it outstrips any sort of coupon uh, and or duration, assuming you are holding it, of, of a US 10-year. But that's the environment we're in.
2: That was the... There was a bit of that chat that was last year that was going on and, and I, I won't be able to verify this with anything but there was, this was just part of the scuttlebutt that it was European pension funds that uh, of size that were accumulating lots and lots of cash that they would usually be putting into the stuff that was negatively yielding and actually the regulators had to had to come and, and this was all sort of one of those second-hand stories that you hear through one of those podcasts. that was fairly, fairly legitimate and very believable that uh, the regulators were saying you physically cannot have this much cash on hand. You need to tip this into... Into the market somewhere, and if that means you've got to buy these negative these negative treasuries, then so be it. That's how it's got to go. And so gold was the, uh, the gold was the alternative to that, which was which was apparently part of that spike last year. But the the the, the in tandem last year, and the, but the difference with regards to the currency, the difference last year with with the U.S. dollar and, the, and gold rose at the same time was fantastic. It just has not happened this time. I, I honestly didn't think that the U.S. dollar would come off. As much as it's come off and really hurt a gold holding in US dollars, it's uh, been very annoying for us. In, in Aussie dollars, you You haven't got the benefit yeah, of the, the – yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the,
3: the, the move in the Aussie has been extraordinary over the last seven – well, was seven weeks, I was going to say, but it's actually more like sort of three or four months, isn't it, now? I mean, it's basically up for the year um, – you know, iron ore's helped, gold, interestingly enough, gold's helped because we're such a big gold exporter. Oh, yes. The fact that we produce so much of it, that's actually in, in a way sort of helping push up the currency right now as well. How much longer that lasts for, um, you know, I think <coughs> is a, a, a crystal ball for or, or a dart throwing competition for all of us. But I think from How a, much longer? From a- not much longer, Ken. Is that right? <laughs> so,
0: uh, look, yeah, I don't know. It's a topic for a bit later, but yeah, I, my, my view on it, not, not too much longer.
3: I think from a portfolio perspective as well, Like, and to, to your point, James, like even if you've not benefited from the Aussie falling – I think for most Australian investors, it probably still makes sense to have the, your gold exposure unhedged because you're sort of a, you're effectively then also getting a bit of currency diversification in your portfolio yeah. if you if you're unhedged in Aussie dollars. Um, now, people would take the opposing view; they'd say, "No, you should just have the pure gold price exposure." There's no right or wrong answer, but you know, if I look at it from my own perspective, you know, I earn my income in Australian dollars, houses in Australian dollars, cash in the bank is Australian dollars. All my other assets are in Australian dollars, so if I own gold unhedged, well, if the Aussie dollar falls, I'm at least that part of my portfolio is benefiting from that decline.
2: That is, yeah, that, that, that is true. I mean, the last few months have just been—it's it, 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 just been a bit too much. Yeah, that's all yeah. with the, with the Aussie rally. Oh, if you want to get in, if you want to get into a currency chat now, let's go for it. Ken sounded like he was all well. Fine. I, oh, hey, oh. I, I
1: need to hear. No. I need to. I need to pick up on this, Ken. Um, that you think the Aussie dollar is a bit strong.
0: Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, I don't think I'm the only one on the street, right? I think I think the pace of the move has, has properly caught plenty by surprise. I think, you know, the move from, the forget the lows in March. I mean, that, that's, it is what it is. But the move, I suppose, or the pace of the move up towards that 70 mark, yeah, people were thinking it was a bit stretched. It hit 70 and, and it stabilised, came, came off a couple of percent and traded a range, and that was fine. But this move that we've seen, I suppose, in the last, what, Ten days, not even north of seventy. Like we've had um, and three percent, and that's been purely dollar, as in greenback US dollar driven. I think, from my perspective, I think that, that's that's entirely insane. Uh, that's not to say that it's done. I think there's probably realistically, with the, with the momentum that we're seeing, there's probably another couple of percent in it. I think. I think if you see, you know, not investment advice, and certainly I, I don't have a position at the moment. But I mean, if you see anything in the Aussie north of about 74 take a good long hard look around what's going on elsewhere but yeah to my mind that's incredibly expensive given given the current backdrop uh, not only locally but certainly globally right so i think the momentum's there for a bit more but not much more and and it's it's expensive now and it's only going to get even more so uh, in in the coming weeks i think if we see it get, get any higher that's that's my two cents
1: so all of this talk is centered around this weakness in the U.S. dollar. Who mm. wants to talk about why? Yeah. U- U.S. dollar weakening. Oh, oh,
3: yeah. I suppose a couple of comments would be, one, it was, you know, it had, had a – first things first, there's a, Jim Grant had a great comment. Uh, he said, good things happen to cheap assets. So I guess the the flip side of that is bad things happen to expensive assets. Now. I don't know whether you'd say the dollar was expensive, but it had actually been in a pretty good run for the majority of the last several years. Um, so, you know, nothing lasts forever. So, you know, there's, there's an element there. Um, I think the second factor is the, the level of stimulus that's coming from the Fed and from Washington is, you know, it is, I mean, <laughs> there's been an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented <laughs> in the last few years, well, well, but, there, it, but, it's, are, but it's genuinely unprecedented, yeah, right?
1: They're effectively taking the economy of Australia and dumping it into the US economy. Yeah, it's yeah. – yeah, I mean,
3: I, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago where I said, you know, it took, this, it took the Fed six years post-GFC to add $3 trillion to their balance sheet. They did that in about three months this year, right? So we are, you know, we are sort of off the charts in terms of the level of stimulus that we're seeing – um, that has to have some kind of impact. Um, so I think those two factors are there. And then, look, maybe there's an element of, um, I, I suppose, risk slash uncertainty with the election only... I think it's less than 100 days from now. Um, you know, I think those three factors are, are pretty good to, to you know help see the dollar give up 4 or 5%. I but, um,
0: if, if I can just jump in there. Uh, I don't entirely or don't necessarily disagree with any of that, to be honest, Jordan. I suppose from my perspective if we're looking at the stimulus side of things and and that as a, as a potential catalyst for for dollar weakness um you can call the fx market many things and on an average day i do and very few of them complementary but the one thing you can definitely say about fx is that it is fairly efficient in terms of its pricing like i mean it, it it suffers from whiplash because it goes to extremes and then mean reverts but it does so pretty quickly the stimulus not only the amount but the the ways in which it's been delivered it's been a known known. It's been a Rumsfeldian known known for a number of months now. So the the pace and the the magnitude of the weakness that we've seen in the dollar in the last couple of weeks, I'd be hard pressed to attribute it strictly to that, or or even in, in large part. I think if if anything, realistically, there there is probably an election uh, factor in it, but also just um, Stephen Yen's uh, dollar smile, right? Like the the concept of the fact that we're probably in the third of four quadrants uh, of the dollar smile. So we're probably down at the ve- at the very sort of bottom of, of that dip in that, you know, look, look at risk as, as an asset or as, as a, as a mood has done. I mean, equities are just through the roof. Uh, bonds are, well, we know where bonds are. And, you know, I mean, Europe was a basket case and then apparently all of a sudden, oh, there's a, there's a Corona sort of stimulus package. So, Let's, let's bid the absolute living daylights out of the currency that was, you know, meant to be falling apart three minutes ago. Um, I think generally there's just that risk mood. And I think as a consequence, the dollar has, has uh, weakened because, you know, uh, stuff has gone into maybe EMFX, uh, equities and the like. Um, will it persist? Uh, to my mind, short term, yes. Maybe into, you know, medium term into the election. But overall, um, if there is an overall, let's say, a genuine cause for risk to be bid going forward, that is, there's a way out of this pandemic, there's a vaccine growth globally returns, then that in itself will be uh, a catalyst for dollar strength. The reality, though, is I don't think this jubilation will continue. I think we'll—I don't think we're going to you know, absolutely fall out of bed, but I do think that risk will take a breather at some point. And with that, we'll see uh, the dollar sort of start to consolidate its recent weakness. Um, it it won't—I don't think—it shoots excessively north, as it were. But I think it consolidates recent weakness and just establishes, you know, a slightly lower range to to what it was previously. So I'm sort of in two minds about, you know, getting all excited about, you know, the, the dollar getting out of fashion and, and and you know weakening any further in, in substantial ways.
2: I've got another no, to with that. That's, that's, that's pretty much the best insight that you're going to have on that particular space. So.
1: Okay, I can tell you one thing about dollars, though, um, something that lots of people are starting to talk about, is that this idea that there's never going to be a shortage of them. Uh, and it comes from something we started talking about on the show um, uh, last week a little bit, um, but it's modern monetary theory um and i am hoping um that steph kelton will be on the show in a couple of weeks time um so i've been in touch with her so um but um it, it'll be great to have um stephanie kelton the author of the deficit myth, myth which is the, the book that has reignited the conversation uh around modern monetary theory and um Jordan, I know you uh, like your monetary uh, economics. Uh, obviously, yields, supply, central banking, very central to the whole gold space too. Um, so um, you have a view on how this is coming together if you look at like how nervous we were about uh, zero interest rates and QE only a decade ago. Um, and where we are now. Yeah, I do. So I think
3: that the w- – without commenting on the efficacy of it, um, I think that's the word I, I want to be using, um, I sort of see this move towards MMT as being uh, – it, it feels like it's kind of inevitable. Now, it might not be MMT in exactly the way Stephanie wants to see it happen or you know, any one particular proponent of it. Um, But, I mean, I'd argue that we've been in a sort of quasi-MMT world for some time now. Um, I think that, you know, the idea that... Uh, governments' need to uh, tax or issue bonds to finance spending um, has probably been well and truly put to bed with the, with what we've seen happen in the last twelve years, with the amount of um, you know policy stimulus that we've seen from Fed and other central banks and them effectively buying um, buying government bonds from from the private sector. Um, but I think the bigger one is just yeah, the, for one of a better term the. Um, the zeitgeist, the, the mood of the conversation. Um, you know, if you think back to when the GFC hit, the the sort of, the, the, I won't say policy response, because the policy response was QE, it was ZERP and it was NERP, but the, the debate around it was, look, this is clearly uh, extreme policy, it's because of this unprecedented crisis, and as soon as it's over, we're going to walk it back, right, because we can't keep interest rates at zero, it's, it's not right to print money, there, there's all these challenges that come from it. Here we are, twelve years later. There's been really not that high consumer price inflation. There's been colossal asset price inflation, but consumer price inflation has been pretty pretty benign. And so the you know even if you just look at the sort of articles in the media and the way this is being talked about, QE is now just sort of seen as a standard part of the policy toolkit. Um, and the the debate doesn't seem to be okay if qe doesn't work let's sort of start moving back in the other direction it's just okay well what's next well what's next is mmt so i my, my you know this is not this is not my sort of professional hat sort of i suppose in some ways it's just my observation that it, it feels like we're heading in that direction. Um, I, I, I do think it does have the, the the impact on a at a market level that it's probably bullish for equities and bullish for gold. Um, but, yeah, that, that's just how I see it happening. I, I think that we will see it in, in one way, shape or form in, in the years to come.
1: So I think it's a really interesting question. I think the big sort of conversation – like the book is called The Deficit Myth, right, and – now in that book, there's a whole bunch of actual policy proposals, right so there's a, there's a monetary part of it, which is like here's how national accounting works. Um, but then there's all of these things which are attached to it which I think you know kind of get confused and tied up with MMT and I think to to its detriment, to be honest, um, because when people hear MMT, they think about um, universal basic incomes or they think about job guarantees and other things that the government can do, But it's not, you know, the the more descriptive part about MMT is is really just about explaining um, that uh, all dollars that are are in existence um, are 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 brought into existence by the government, right? So um, and which includes the central bank, right? So you have to think of government and the central bank as being because currently we kind of don't really think about the central bank as being part of the government because we've. Um, certainly our generation has been accustomed to independent central banks, um, which are operated very much at arm's length um, from treasury departments. So uh, that is one thing that um, you know, and there's not political pressure, or they can resist political pressure pretty easily, or they're, they're, they're much better structures for r- resisting political pressure. So I think that's one thing. But um, the other thing it reminds me of is... Um, that some of this reminds me of is that uh, I interviewed you know the satirist PJ O'Rourke, um, a conservative commentator. I interviewed him in um, uh, 2016 around the time of the Trump uh, Clinton election, and he has been a long time Republican supporter, etc. And he endorsed Hillary. Uh, and I asked him about this, and he said, "Well, you know, maybe I was, uh, you know, um, showing my age." But anyway, he you know waxed on about American politics. Um, uh, and he was of the belief that, um, that uh, Trump um, didn't seem to have any core political beliefs. Um, I think, you know, as funny as he is, uh, a lot of the things that he does talk about turn out to be have quite a deal of truth in them. Anyway, at the end of our conversation, he told me about this guy that he knew who had kind of forecast the GFC. And he said, well, do you know what this man said to me is going to be the next big thing? He says, it's about, going to be about the value of a dollar. He said, because uh, why is a dollar worth a dollar? Because it is. We say it is. Right? And he said, this is going to be the next big thing in the world. Right? Like Why does money work the way it does? Now, this was very, so 2016, so early crypto days. Um, and um, crypto hadn't become a big thing, really. Um, but it is interesting that we're now at this point, like why is a dollar worth a dollar? Well, and it's really because, well, there's market forces, et cetera. Now, I think the US dollar is particularly relevant in this case because it's kind of like the benchmark. Everything else is traded against it. Commodities are all priced in it. You know, um, it's, the, it's the
3: gold standard of fiat currencies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> but but that, that's exactly what I was going to ask, actually. I mean, is, isn't what you're describing precisely the, the, the simple basis of, of why gold is gold? Like I mean, because universally, everyone believes it believes that it's the one and same thing. That's it. So that it has value. Yes. Yeah. Everyone everyone entrusts their counterparty and universally believes it has value, and therefore I believe that at some point, bang, right? And that's it. I mean, like again, I'm a simpleton, but surely there's no absolutely no other reason for why gold is gold, right? Or, Or perceived the way it is.
3: I actually think that's a that's a fair statement. Can uh, you know human beings have decided over the course of thousands of years to value gold um, for a number of good reasons. Um, but you are right; it's it's valuable because humans ascribe value to it. That's um, you know in in many ways it is as simple as that.
2: Men, we why 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 do we wear pants? I don't know, like because as as you know, why do we wear shirts? Like it it, it it's it's not exactly the most necessary thing on the list of things that are necessary. It's not at the top. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm not wearing any pads right now, Paul. It's beautiful. Uh, because I it, do my best work. But it,
3: but it is interesting in the sense that like, like money itself is – critical to the function of a prosperous society, right? Mm. So we can't we can't live the lifestyles we do without a functioning monetary system. I don't think there's any... De- 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 there shouldn't really be a debate about that. You couldn't have economic specialisation or any of the things that we sort of just totally take for granted. Um, but the the debate around what is a dollar or what is money is a very interesting one.
1: It is. Well, part of the, the whole thing is, well, you know, there is a government behind it, right? And that government has aircraft carriers and
2: that's the, that's a big clacker you know, as well that
1: um the seventh infantry division division say so, well, a dollar is you know to PJ works line actually you know a dollar is worth a dollar because we said it was, and we've got some trident missiles uh you know that that say it is um but of course that doesn't apply to every government and every currency so um I certainly think we're we central banks are starting to move into a world where there there will be people will be asking more questions about um uh why deficits can't be funded uh and and in Australian politics in particular deficits um and surpluses have been i think to the detriment of economic policy have been uh, the benchmark of performance of of um many governments uh and you know, I think I think, people, I think this is going to start a new conversation around deficits, um, and I think a welcome one too, to be honest. I, no, no argument from my side, that's for sure.
0: Basically, on the deficit side, I think, look, I don't disagree, Colgo. I mean, in many instances or in many cases, I think the fascination uh, with deficits and or surpluses um, from from a government fiscal policy standpoint are not entirely dissimilar to inflation targeting from central banks I mean they need you know a benchmark as it were now whether you agree with the benchmark and or the level of it is a different story but uh, Australia in particular has as really and certainly the the libs of late have really prided themselves on being able to deliver surpluses and whatever else now you know they've been lucky uh, as a means by which to do so but in the scheme of things it's been detrimental to the economy because well we, we know why at least certainly in the last uh, in the last couple of years and now under circumstances they've been forced to flip dramatically and, and, and head into deficits and seemingly they think they're justified in doing so. but the reality of it is is that these deficits are likely going to have to persist for probably a fair bit longer than they, they would be comfortable with or that they'd even like to admit you know to. Um, no, I think there's a really sort of, healthy
1: way to, yeah. think, to think about deficit reduction, which is that the economy is growing at a rate that's outpacing the growth in government spending. So, private sector is going well, and um, you know, and government government saying staying the same or growing more slowly, which is a sign that your economic policy is working. So, deficit reduction absolutely is yeah, is, is, is tick tick tick. You know, um, but
0: organic organic deficit reduction, mm. not not. Policy-induced deficit reduction. Exactly. If, yeah.
1: Exactly. If you have an economy that's growing at uh, at three percent, and and the the deficit is two percent of GDP, uh, you know you don't have to hit the nominal target. You know the, yeah, the, I agree. The, your deficit, your budget is in absolutely great shape uh and um, it has genuinely surprised me um that uh, we talk so much about you know the x billion dollar surpluses or deficits uh, rather than talking about them in terms of percentages of GDP compared to the growth rate but i suppose that's probably a little bit less boring than the numbers are smaller you know <laughs> two and three rather than 24 or 36 or yeah um but we certainly do can have years and years of deficits um uh, ahead of us, ahead of
0: us. Yeah, no, no. Can, can, can I, can I just actually, actually before we go, Jordan, I'd, I'd like to get yours. suppose not, not from a price target point of view, but your, your medium term, I suppose, view on gold. Let's say in, in US dollar terms, just and whether you perceive that the current drivers will remain so, or they'll proportionately diminish, and something else will come in to, to replace them. So, where, where, where do you think gold goes? You know, in the medium term.
3: Look, I think medium term prices uh, will be well supported. Demand will be well supported, and there'll be a sort of upside bias. Short term, the the market uh, could very easily see a, a period of consolidation because it's it's run very far, very fast, and you know not just gold. I think silver's up thirty five percent this month alone so you know when you see things like that happen and and you know paul mentioned it sort of partly in jest at the start of the show but you know the fact you guys are covering it like this week for me has been sort of back-to-back media because of the what's happening in the gold price so um i think short term we could see a a bit of heat come out of the market It probably be a very healthy thing but no look i think over the medium term prices will be well supported ken where you know we've got this where investors face this challenge of of negative real yields on traditional safe havens, and they will for years to come. Um, We do have... uh it's going to take years for the economies to get back to where they were pre-COVID. Um, and if you look at the other end of the scale, you know, financial assets, they, they might be cheap, or sorry, risk assets, I should say, they might be cheap relative to where bond yields are, but they're not cheap in absolute terms. So I think yeah. for all of those reasons, the kind of portfolio argument for gold is likely to remain well supported for, for years to come.
0: Yeah. yeah so, so to me, yeah, my, my two cents on that, I i would agree that over the medium-term the, the the portfolio scenario that you've described is probably bang on because ultimately if you're real money if you're a pension fund your key aims are obviously over a duration the horizons longer but uh diversification and risk-adjusted returns um and and if those things risk-adjusted returns in the world that we live in good luck finding them, right um and uh, you know as, as a consequence i think you know to, to for diversification, if if ultimately the there is no yield, but the, the capital appreciation is there, or at least the stability in something like gold, then, yeah, you're almost obliged by virtue of your mandate to probably dip your little pinky into it, I think. So, yeah, that's... Can it's I, I can I
3: actually add one point on the insto side as well? well, James? Did you want to go first?
2: No, 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 I'm not. I was I was going to talk about products and allocation and things like oh, that. So.
3: Okay. Well, just on the Insta side, I might add quickly as well is that there's the there's the investment characteristics of you know gold being negatively correlated to equities and, and all of those things. Um, but there's also just from an execution perspective, if you sort of think about gold, say within an alternatives basket for an institutional investor. Gold is by far the most liquid and lowest cost alternative to put into a portfolio as a traditional. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, if you think of things like private equity, hedge funds, unlisted infrastructure, all of those other things, which are, you know, there's, they're great assets. Is not 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 to speak. commercial property. Yeah, yeah, not not not. I'm not speaking badly about yeah. them, yeah. but yeah. they they tend to be illiquid um, at the more expensive end of the the the, the sort of cost structure, um, and there can occasionally be a degree of opacity as well in in what you're buying. Mm. Um, you know, gold is highly liquid, it's low cost, and it's just a gold bar. So it's very simple to understand as well. So I think from those that, that point of view as well, all other things being equal, a portfolio manager can kind of lower their cost and increase the liquidity of their
1: portfolio by allocating something to gold. Yeah. James, uh, it's no. been a big conversation, uh, covered a lot of territory, but um, the uh, long and the short case for gold, right, uh, how? What? You, let's talk through a couple of products that um, people yep. are, are able to take both sides of this trade or or uh, and hedge it. Maybe
2: yeah. The, so the, the the brass tax uh, situation of it is that we like about a ten, ten to fifteen percent allocation to it, which is a nice fair number that you'd want to have currently. Uh, to, and currently, we actually exited a few days ago, about a week ago, uh, on a, on our exit. Uh, we've got an exit rationale just based on relative strength it just went it just blasted through that take profit it just went this is hot let's just go cash and just figure out a way to re- and reallocate later on and figure out what we're doing now it's all about this currency thing is a real is a real pain we've talked about tina you talk about pita which is a pain in the ass figuring out the currency thing so the three main products that there are in the market right now one is uh, qau run by beta shares that's hedged uh, against us dollars so, so it doesn't matter in the currency move you've got you've got that there Backed by J.P. Morgan Gold, as you said, Jordan stuck in a safe. Uh, the other one that you've got is GOLD, which I think was one of the first. It was, I think, that was the first one that was. Uh, might have been one of the first ETFs in Australia, I think, actually, or something like. That. And that's unhedged. So if the US dollar comes off in a calamity as it has, and gold still goes up, then you you, you might be a little bit behind, which some people have found themselves recently. And then you've also got um, – and that's also JP Morgan in a safe uh, there as well. And then you've got the PM uh, – and the actual stock code is PM Gold. I was about to say PM Dawn there, but uh, we'll save that for later. PM Gold, uh, which is Perth Mint, and that's Aussie dollar. Uh, and that's based on the spot price, and, and they're the three ones. If you want to go company-wise, you've got the gold miners as well, and those have been shooting stars lately, and every, every taxi driver's now got a gold miner that he likes at the moment. And beware, beware, beware – always just telling people to beware – just because a gold miner, some guy with a shovel and a, and a metal detector tells you he's 25 kilometres away from some other tenement, it's not a reason to invest in that company. Do your homework on that and just be careful because they're the guys that are going to be searching for lithium in a few months' time whenever the next craze sort of takes off.
1: Well, that's right. And if, uh, a lot of them have actually turned – it used to be gold companies and now they've turned into small tech companies. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, whatever the next trend is, is going there. So there's, there's ETFs that are on those uh, for gold miners as well. GDX, I believe, is, is one of the ones that's there. And uh, What about if I hate gold? I don't know. I can't help you. I, I, I honestly don't know what happens if you want to do it if you short gold. What, is there an ETF to short gold? I don't know. It's never come up in any time in anything that I've ever done. Is there an ETF to short gold? If I think about how you'd
3: manufacture there, it. There, there isn't as far as I'm, I'm aware. I guess you'd just be long equities, long US dollars, short inflation
2: or long low inflation interest. i suppose just you know the short the futures yeah, yeah yeah um but there, there's that uh, there's also an options market and futures markets over the top of it one of my little favorite strategies is i sell put spreads in in the uh gold futures in the, the options over it just get a bit of income come through gold continues to trickle up it's out of the money you just pocket a little bit of change in the in the side nice nice easy sort of sort of thing to go over Keeps it ticking over, and uh, and clients usually like it. But they're the they're they're the main ones. So for ASX punter, about a ten fifteen percent nice little area of gold and uh, and the currency thing. But PM Gold, a great product. Not that that's why you're here to spruik it. You're here to talk about gold, but it is uh, it's one of the ones that uh, that that we'd recommend.
1: Fantastic. Looks been a great show. Uh, Ken Vexler in Amsterdam. Thanks so much. Uh, Great having you back,
0: mate. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you, guys, and thanks, Jordan. Really. um yeah, really enlightening. Got, got to learn quite a bit this week. Thank you.
1: Pleasure, Ken. Uh, and uh, Jordan Alisio our guest uh, on the show this week, um, manager, uh, uh, listed products and investment research at the Perth Mint. Uh, Jordan, thanks so much for coming on the show. We've done a few podcasts together over the years, uh, and uh, it's great having you back. Pleasure. Enjoyed it. Uh, and also uh, James Whelan, investment manager at VFS Group. Thanks. Thank you
2: very much. We've uh, got about, aha, got <laughs> about 12, 12, as as we record right now, we're about twelve hours away from thirty five percent of the U.S. market cap reporting their their results. So. By the time anybody listens to this, the whole world could be completely different, and uh, gold might be a stunning buy based on uh, based on where the equity market sits. It's going to be fascinating. Great podcast, thank you, Paul.
1: Yeah, good fun, uh, and we'll certainly look at the um, uh, at the big tech stocks when we get back together next week. You can find us on iTunes at the Bip Show or wherever you get us, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, everywhere else. Don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. Um, We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook as well. Just search The Bip Show. And we're all individually on Twitter as well. Colgo, James JamesWheelan42, and uh, Ken Vexler, if he'll let you follow him. And Jordan's on there as well, (laughs) and he's uh, great with his economics. Okay, so um, we love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. The show is produced by Rick Salter and Eamon Connolly. We'll catch you next.